0: Open up to John chapter 20. John, the Gospel of John chapter 20. And we're going to be looking at only verses 1 through 10 this evening. John chapter 20, chapter 19. It closed with what seemed to be man's darkest hour the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Some 700 years prior to that Good Friday. The prophet Isaiah, he prophesied in Isaiah 53, 9, that Jesus, that he would be put to death with the wicked and that he would be buried with the rich. Jesus was crucified between the two thieves and he was set in a rich man's tomb, Joseph of Arimathea. Now, this was a significant prophecy. It was an accurate prophecy, but it was just one of many prophecies. There were over 300 messianic prophecies in the Old Testament. of The life, the birth, the life, the death of Jesus Christ, our Messiah. The Son of God. Who willingly stepped down from his throne, from the right hand of the Father. He put on human skin and he dwelt with his most prized possession, his creation, mankind. He lived a perfect and sinless life so that he could lay his life down for yours and for mine. And for all mankind, all that ever lived, all that will live, all who are living today, he laid his life down for every single one of them. Now, I claimed a second ago that it would seem to be man's darkest hour. When the hour had come for Jesus to lay down his life, Man, his followers, they were devastated. It was their darkest hour, without a doubt. The followers of Jesus Christ, his disciples, it would be their darkest hour, but it wouldn't last long. Isaiah 53.10 This was God's plan all along. And in the New Living Translation, it says, but it was the Lord's good plan to crush him. Speaking of Jesus and cause him grief. Yet when his life is made an offering for sin, he, Jesus, will have many descendants. He will enjoy a long life and the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. The new King James is probably the most popular version you probably have in front of you. It says that it it pleased the Lord to bruise him. Now, church, if we could just for a moment. Consider this, that it pleased God to allow what happened to his son. It pleased him. Why? How in the world could it please him to allow his son, his only begotten son, to go through it? How? That's how much he loves you. That's how much Jesus loves you. He loves you so much that it pleased him to see. I have a son. People got sons here, right? Maybe even daughters. I'll stand in the way of a freight truck to protect my children. I could never imagine finding any good pleasure out of seeing my children suffer. And if you guys have had children and you've watched them suffer, and I know you do. It's the most miserable thing that you can go through. But yet it pleased God. So if we can think about that for a second, you are worth it. Think about your worth, church. Think about your worth to God if it pleased him. He loves us so much that he would put him through the suffering that we've seen in the previous chapter, in chapter 19. In chapter 19, Jesus Christ was put to death. He was beaten. He was scourged. He was put on the cross. Now, if there was any darkness at all, if there was any true darkness at all, it wasn't found in the plan. The plan was not dark. The plan was not evil. The plan was good. If there was any darkness at all, it would be in the people. It would be in the hearts of those who sent an innocent man to die. You see, because it was the Passover. It was the time of the Passover. And there was a Jewish tradition that they would exonerate a prisoner. And Pontius Pilate, since he found no fault in Jesus, since Jesus was innocent, He gave the people an option. He gave the people a choice. And you know, I thought about this and I've never thought about this. How many times I've read through the gospel of Jesus Christ. I've never thought about this until until this time around through. But could you imagine if this was a tradition? If the Jewish people got to have somebody exonerated every Passover, if it was their tradition... Could you imagine the fighting and the turmoil amongst the people? Who do we release? Release my son. You know, maybe, maybe a woman's husband was wrongfully accused and he was in prison. She's going to say, no, well, 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 what about my husband? He was innocent. Well, what about my uncle? What about my brother? Could you imagine the turmoil between the Jewish people? Who do we release? You see, Pilate thought he was doing them a favor by saying, look. Here's an innocent man giving him to you on a silver platter. No brainer. Instead, what do the people do? They choose a known murderer, a known terrorist, an insurrectionist. Jesus only did good for all mankind. Healing people, full of love, full of compassion, forgiving them of their sins. Never judging them for their past. Loving on them. And yet the people chose Barabbas they didn't only choose Barabbas, but they shouted, Crucify him! Crucify him! It wasn't good enough to keep Jesus incarcerated. They wanted him gone, they wanted him vanished off the face of the earth. Why? Because too many people were following him, too many people were responding to the good news. And it's cringeworthy when we think about it, isn't it? The people shouting, Crucify him. Crucify him. The church, my beloved, if we're honest with ourselves, if we would be totally honest with ourselves, this is exactly what we are doing. We are yelling, crucifying him. We We are shouting, crucify him when we reject the love and the truth of Jesus Christ. It's as good as shouting, crucify him. And it amazes me how people. And I'm a people. I'm included in this list. It amazes me how we have the tendency to choose the dark and the wicked and perverted ways of this world over the unfailing love, loving arms, saving arms of Jesus Christ. That was me one day rejecting him. Maybe perhaps all of us one day that we rejected him. Maybe there's some here today that still reject him. The church, it's our sin that that you crucify. It's your sin. It's my sin. It's my debt that he would pay for my sin. It's your life. It's my life that he would lay his down for. Now, it's easy to criticize those, isn't it? That are yelling. The Bible says that they gnashed their teeth at him. And they yelled at him and they screamed, crucify him, crucify him. Let's not forget that on that day. On that very day that our sin was present. Did you know that? church your sin was present your sin and my sin yelled crucify on that day and I like to I like to think of a song there's an old song by the group called the Supertones any supertones fans in here right you Got some but there's a song that he says in, in the chorus it says that my sin yelled crucify louder than the mobs that day my sin You see, on the surface of what was happening in these final moments of our Lord and Savior's life here on earth. The disciples, man, they could not find any comfort in what was going on. You see, they believed that that they were going to head right into the kingdom age with Jesus. They believed that Jesus was going to walk with them the entire time. Even though Jesus told them over and over and over that the hour is coming that I will leave you. But don't fear, I will come back for you. But you see their confidence in walking with Christ, it was shattered, it was destroyed. I use the word Godfidence. They had Godfidence when they were walking with Jesus. When Jesus was right there, man, they had Godfidence. And it was gone. It was gone when Jesus was arrested. It was gone when they crucified him. You know, it's like walking into a place and you got all your homeboys with you, right? I'm the littlest. I was always the littlest guy. I hung out with big guys. So I had confidence wherever I go. That I had confidence that I didn't have to do anything. I got my homeboys, my, my friends. Right? And I think about that. That's how it was with them. When the religious leaders attacked them, when they tried to... To trap them, you know, they would just have to let Jesus handle it. Their confidence was shattered. It was gone. Why? Because of their experience. And I often wonder how far off his disciples watched the whole thing play out. We know John was there. According to the scriptures, we see that John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, he was there at the cross when Jesus told him, Look, you're going to take care of my mom. This is your mom now. He tells his mom, This is your son. He's going to take care of you to all the end of your days. But how about the others? How far off were they watching the whole entire thing play out? They were devastated, they were destroyed. And I think about the hill. I've never been there. I know many, many of you have been to Jerusalem and you've seen it. But I've only seen it in pictures. But I could see that on this hill that they call Mount Calvary. I could see that from wherever you're at. You could look up and you could see if there would be any activity up there. You'd probably be able to see from a distance. Jesus dragging his cross up the hill. You could probably see from a distance. Laying down the cross and them laying down those, the prisoners, laying them on the cross. You know, I live on a hill. And surrounding my house is is nothing but fields all the way around. And when we first moved into the property, I could remember that when I would look out, it was beautiful. It was just miles of just green. No houses, no nothing. Nothing. But it was only a few months later that construction started. And before you know it, man, about a half a mile away, now there's track homes all right there. But here's what's interesting it's about a mile away. And when they had construction going on from on top of that hill, I can hear the carpenters' hammers, I could hear the nails. You see, not everything is done with nail guns. There are some construction that's still done with hammers. And I wonder, could the disciples, as they were watching from a distance, can they hear the nails being pounded into our Savior's hands? Can they hear the nails being pounded into his feet? I bet they could. I bet they could. The sound, I know the sound could travel that far because I, I've heard it. I know it can. Could they see Jesus suffering and dying on the cross? You bet they lost all confidence. You bet they lost all hope. The pounding of the metal stakes going through our Savior's body would defeat anybody. The most spiritual men. How terrified his disciples must have been. I wonder if they thought, are we next? I wonder if they thought, are they coming after us? But, you know, the truth and the reality was, was yes. They were martyred. They gave their lives. They had to lay down their lives. But the final moments of our Savior's life, they were the most difficult time for his followers. But church, if they could only see the whole picture. If they could only see what was going on behind the scenes. If they could only see what our heavenly father was doing. What he was doing, it would change the world. It would change the world for all mankind, past, present, and future. It would change all of eternity. Through what seemed to be a terrible time, God would use it to reconcile fallen man. The fall of man that happened in the garden. Since Adam and Eve sinned, man has always lived with a sin dilemma. But God had it planned A perfect plan to wash away our sin, to bridge that gap. The precious blood of his son, Jesus Christ, that would wash away all of our sin. There was over 4,000 years of animal and blood sacrifice for the Jewish people. And over 4,000 years of just nothing but just covering up and covering up and covering up sin. You ever paint a wall in your house and then you you try to maybe scrape a layer off and there's like another layer and then another layer and then another. And you like it's like you got a ten and a half foot room now. And that's all it did for their sin. It just covered it and it covered it and it covered it. But the sin was still there. And what does sin do? Sin separates man from God. We cannot be in the presence of a holy God with Sin. But thank Jesus. Thank you, God, that the perfect spotless lamb of God came and that he took away the sins of the world to wash us clean so that we are acceptable to our God. Now, those who believe in him, those who accept him as Lord and Savior and repent of their sin. This is what was really going on. This is what the father was doing. Now, I wonder what is going on in the turmoil in our lives today. The disciples were going through some pretty heavy turmoil. And you know what? I could bet. I'm not a betting man anymore. But I could bet that there are many of you here this evening. That are going through some turmoil. You're going through it, man. I know our little fellowship out there in Temecula. Man, I'll tell you. This is the few people that we have. It's amazing the turmoil and the trials and the tribulations that the people are going through. I can't believe that Cornerstone would be any different. You see, you can rest assured that God is up to something in your life. This is why he allows these things. Church, it would be good for us to a lot of good to us if we could understand this. That if we could only understand that through these dark times, the things that we're going through, that we could understand that God is up to something in your life. And, you know, the best thing that could come out of it would be a closer and a deeper relationship with Him. You see, this is what the Apostle Paul meant when he was telling the the churches in the Book of Acts in chapter fourteen, as the Bible says that Paul in Acts fourteen that he was going around and he was he was exhorting and he was encouraging the churches, the brethren. And in Acts fourteen twenty two, he was saying he said that we must. He said that we must, through many tribulations, enter into the kingdom of God. I don't know if your Bible has that word must underlined yet. But I pray that you would do it. Why is a reminder that when we're going through things that we must, through many, enter into the kingdom of God. You can bet we're going to have trials, church. And some are going to be greater than others. But the good news is, is that the heartache and the trials of this lifetime, man, you know what? They have to take a backseat to something. The pain, the sickness, the trials, the tribulations, they have to take a backseat to the fact that we have assurance that we will enter into the kingdom of heaven. That's a wonderful assurance that we have. That is the blessed assurance that the believer has. For us as believers, we are on a pilgrimage. And the world is temporary, is our temporary address. And all the pain and suffering and all of that is temporary too. Revelation 21.4. I love this scripture. Speaking of the saints, speaking of the believers, speaking of the church, it says in in verse 4 of chapter 21 in Revelation that, that God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Speaking of us. There shall be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying. There shall be no more pain. For the former things have passed away. No one can hurt you anymore, church. No sin can corrupt you anymore. When I read this passage earlier, I was a little bit bummed out because it said that there will be no more crying. I guess my preaching days are over. Can't let this guy do it. You see the pain. The pain of this world, man, it could never measure up to the glorious day that we will one day see as believers comforted in the loving arms of our savior forever and ever and ever. And there is no other means but by the plan, by God's redemptive plan that we can get there. Though the moment seemed dark. The crucifixion of Christ seemed dark, but the resurrection, that was our hope. You see, there's only one way, and and that's God's way. That's God's plan. The only way it is, is to have a true spiritual rebirth. This is what Jesus told Nicodemus in John chapter 3. In John chapter 3, Nicodemus came to Jesus at night inquiring. Inquiring minds want to know, who is this guy? What is he about? You know. Nicodemus didn't ask him, how do how do I get saved? But Jesus just ignored what he and told him what he needed to hear. He said, you must be born again. The first birth is the physical birth. Here we are. I could say that we've all experienced that. Amen. I don't sound like I'm, I'm reaching for that. Well, maybe some of us. I'm looking. But we've all been. But the second birth, I, I, I'm not so sure. The second birth, I can't I can't say one way or another. Only, you know, only you and God know. When a person puts their trust in Jesus and repents of their sin, then we can be sure. Have we all done that tonight? Is there anyone that needs to do that tonight? I pray that tonight would be an opportunity. The Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You know, I shared earlier at our church uh, this morning that on, on Friday, it was pretty amazing. Uh, first time in my life it ever happened to me that I was just, you know, you see these guys, they, they these guys write scripture, you know, uh, the apostles and, and, and they give you an account of saying that, you know, there I was, I was in the spirit, man. I was, you know, and people will tell you, yeah, I was in the spirit praying and God did something and, you know, and, and, and you know, I'm not sure exactly what what that means 100%. I mean, I, I I like to think that I'm in the Spirit a lot and praying and I'm just fellowshipping with the Lord. And, and I was having one of those moments on Friday and, and in about a matter of 20 minutes, I had two co-workers come up to me and ask me, what do I need to do to have a relationship with God? I mean, that's... That's the lottery right there. Man, I won the lotto, right? Better than the lotto. That never happens. When they see me coming, they either run or they're already saved, you know. And, but, but they asked me, you know, and, and I've I was I got to tell you, you know, when I'm going to minister to somebody, I start to pray. And I was like, okay, Lord, I'm going to minister to this person. Yeah, I'm going to share the gospel. I'm going to share, you know, um, the law. And then I'm going to share grace. And I'm ready and I'm geared up. But, man, i got to tell you, I was caught off guard. You know, when was the last time someone came up to you and said, yeah, I, I want to get saved. How do I do it? I, I, I was almost like, what do I do? You know, <laughs> but Romans 10, 17. I said, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. And I just simply shared the word of God with them. I said, Believe. Just believe in Jesus. Read his Bible. Read his word. Draw close to him. Have a relation with, relationship with him. And the Bible says that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I didn't have to get into deep theology with him. It was a It was a beautiful thing. So in light, Of the Old Testament scriptures and all that have been fulfilled so far up to this chapter in verse 20. Hundreds of prophecies concerning his birth, his life, his death on the cross. But there was one major thing left. There was a a major cornerstone left to be put in place. And without that major cornerstone being put in place, Jesus would just be another religious leader. Just like the rest of them. And that's what we're looking at tonight. The one event that clearly separates Jesus Christ from all other religious leaders. And I don't think, church, that we talk about it enough. It is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There is a gospel that is preached today amongst the churches. That is that you have a God-shaped hole in your heart. And then if you just say, Lord, come into my heart. He will fill that plug that hole in and then you will be satisfied and that's it. And you're saved and it's all it's all good. It's a watered down gospel. They never tell you that you have to believe in the resurrected Jesus Christ. But this is what the Bible says. It's repent and believe, believe that he is resurrected from the dead. All the other religious leaders, they they become worm food. Their bodies decayed and they corrupted Jesus Christ's body never decayed. It never corrupted, and never saw decay. It never corrupted. It was he was never worm food. All these other guys, they're still in the dirt. But not Jesus. Look at verses one through two of John chapter 20. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. And then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved, speaking of himself. And he said to them, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they had laid him. John begins here that on the first day of the week, the very next day after the Sabbath. Now, church, it is a known fact that that's why we meet on Sunday morning. Right? The early church, they met on Sunday morning. They met on the first day of the week. They met in honor of the resurrected Jesus Christ. What better day to meet for the church traditionally than on Sunday morning? And that's good info. That's good to know. But it's just, it's just church history. What's better than that is that that by John mentioning to us here that it was on the first day of the week... It proved what Jesus said to the to the Pharisees when he says, if you destroy this body, you destroy this temple and I will raise it up in three days. Prophecy so that the the scriptures may be fulfilled. And John mentions that John also mentions and <clears throat> focuses on this woman. A woman here named Mary Magdalene, the other gospels, if you read them, they mention other women, the other gospels mentioned that they're in fact uh at least three other women that accompanied her. So why does why does John focus on Mary? You know, when you read the other Gospels, they tell you that there was the earthquake. They tell you that the angels came. They tell you that the Roman soldiers that were guarding the tomb, that they were frozen as dead men and they fell over. And, they, and, they, and, and all the fireworks are in these Gospels. But we don't see John focusing on these things, do we? He focuses on the fact that what Jesus said came true. Then on the third day, they just t- tried to destroy his temple. And on the third day, he rose it up again. And then he focuses on this woman named Mary Magdalene. And I had to ask myself, you know, why? Why just focusing on her? Well, you know, there could be two reasons. The other women that were there, they had some significance. They were great women of faith. But I think about Mary of Magdalene, you know, she was She had a very deep, profound, uh, uh, John could have had a very deep, profound reason of mentioning her. Because if you remember, this was the woman that Jesus healed. She was demon possessed. I say demon possessed and I see ears go up. You see, Mark 16, 9 says that now when Jesus had rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he cast out seven demons. Luke, in the Gospel of Luke, he mentions her also. But I love what he mentions about her. In Luke 8, 1 through 2. You see what was going on is Jesus and his disciples, they were out preaching. They were out telling the good news of salvation. And look what he says here in, in, in uh, eight uh, 1 through 2. Of chapter eight, it says, now it came to pass afterward that when he, speaking of Jesus, went through, look, he went through every city and village, preaching and breeding glad glad tidings of kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him and a certain woman who had been healed from evil spirits and infirmities called Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had whom had come out seven demons This woman, Mary, man, she had a a disturbing past. She had a disturbing past. She she was demon possessed. It was a jaded past. In fact, we see in the other gospels when she saw the risen Savior and she went to go tell the others they didn't believe her. Her word was no good. She had a horrible reputation in a past. But church, I love that that did not disqualify her from seeing the risen Lord, and even seen him first. Isn't that amazing? With the past like hers, you would think that that would have been set apart for somebody special, somebody like John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, right? But no, the lowly, Mary, it didn't disqualify her. See, church, it's not how we start, it's how we finish. And we can learn a great lesson from Mary here tonight, church. For all of us. You see, if we remain faithful followers of Jesus Christ. We can reap wonderful benefits from it. Mary Magdalene understood and appreciated what Jesus did in her life. He set her free from the bondage of her sin. He set her free from seven demons. And it even says in Luke that she was even uh, um, she even had infirm infirmities. You know, when a person was is demon possessed, uh, there are um, it, it does damage to the body. There's self mutilation. There's things that happen to you when you're demon possessed, man, you get sick. And so she had all these infirmities and Jesus healed her from them. For many of us here today, I know that it's not hard to remember what Jesus healed us from. If you just think for a moment, what did Jesus heal me from? Man, I, if you have all night, I can tell you what Jesus healed me from. And it's quite possible that even tonight, there might even be here some today that still need to be healed. Some people need to be set free from a sin, from bondage of sin in their life. You see... What we think is hidden, what we think is hidden sin is not hidden sin at all because God sees all. you might be able to hide it from your friends, from your wife, from your loved ones, from your children, but you cannot hide it from God and we need to be freed from it. why because it causes infirmities, spiritual infirmities as well as physical infirmities in our lives. Hebrews 4:12 through13 says, for the word of God is living and it is powerful and it is sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and of marrow. And is, look, notice a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him whom you must give an account. Jesus is in the business of setting people free just like He did with Mary, and I know that in my life, at least in my life, I could think about man what he set me free from man it's it's incredible, and not only that, but the promise of the life after this life to come it's even that's the main thing. the main thing is our life to come, the life after this place you see. She understood church. She understood she was with him when he traveled. She was with him when he preached. She was with him at the cross when he was crucified. And then she was there with him. She went to go to the tomb to be with him and to continue to anoint his body and prepare him for a proper burial. She never stopped seeking Jesus. And you know what? She was rewarded for it. She was the first to encounter the risen savior. Many times, church, as Christians, you know, and I hate to say it and I don't want to knock anybody. And I know there's many reasons why there's different reasons why that we sometimes we step away from ministry. Sometimes we need to. Sometimes it's a legitimate reason to step away from ministry. But when it's not legitimate, it's because we're lazy or because we're burnt out or we're tired and we just, you know, we can miss so many blessings. Imagine if that morning she said, well, you know what? I just don't feel like getting up and following him today. I've been following him. And I'm done. He's dead. But she continued to following him. Many times we get lazy and we want to take a season off. There is no seasons off with our relationship with our Lord and Savior. It's not good for us. I could imagine the blessings and the miracles that we miss out on when we do. If I have any regrets in my walk in life, it was walking away from the place that God put me. Because I wanted to do something else. You know, and, and, and it's sad to say, you know, in the church, but I'm just going to say it. Some people are going to be mad at me. I know it. it's OK. But, you know, it's. Do you see a difference in church attendance when football season starts? You know, football season is, is among the you know, guys. Man, I'm going to get my man card pulled. Man, that's it. I crossed the line. But you know what? We. we when we don't come, we, we don't know what kind of blessing we're going to miss. See, this is why we don't take the time. This is why Mary was blessed, because she had a close relationship, a close walk. Now, if her relationship, if her commitment wasn't encouraging enough to you, we have Peter and John's story here. The two disciples who came to the tomb first. And, and, and Simon Peter, you know, he's grouped in. He's there with John, the disciple whom Jesus loved. And John writes about himself in the third person. And we all know who John is. We know that he had that personal relationship with Jesus. Right. We know that in chapter 19, we know that he was there at the cross. And again, like I mentioned earlier, we know that he was given special care of Jesus, mom. But Peter, he was impulsive. Peter, we all know how he was. He was the kind of guy that didn't think too much before he acted. And it got him in a lot of trouble with Jesus. And just days before he's denying him that he even knew him. But yet. Peter would share in this experience of seeing the empty tomb firsthand with, with the disciple John. What an impact that this event was going to have on mankind for all eternity. And Peter and John, they got to be there because of their closer walk with him. Despite their imperfections, despite their shortcomings, they were blessed to experience that. And church, I thank God. I thank God that even though that I'm good at messing things up, even though I'm good at, at being impulsive, and, and, and I'm, I'm always having to say I'm sorry, I'm, or I just say I'm just kidding. That's that actually works. <clears throat> but even though even though I'm good at that, I thank God that He allows me to experience the wonderful spiritual blessings. Because he loves us. Remember what what I was sharing with you earlier. How much does God love you? Enough to see that it would please him to see his son suffer. That's how much love he has. That's why that we still get to experience the blessings and the fullness of God. Mary and the two disciples, all they knew is that Jesus was gone. And Mary implies that his body was taken by somebody. Look at verses 3 and 4 really quick. Peter, therefore, went out and the other disciple and were going to the tomb. And look, they so they both ran together and the other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb first. John, again, is speaking about himself in the third person. Only referring to himself the way the others called him, like he did earlier in the chapter, the disciple whom Jesus loved. And so Peter and John, when they hear the news that Jesus, body is gone they take off. They run together. The Bible says that they ran together. So you see, I have to think that they started at the same time. Right? This was a fair race. They, uh, John didn't have a head start. That They ran together. But notice John has to mention that he got there first. And I, I love uh, one Bible teacher I heard a while back say that that's how humble John was. Uh, he was too humble to use his name. But yet he had to let us know that he won the race, and that's just—he's just a guy's guy. That's what we do, right? Go fishing with your with your partners, and you know, hey, how many fish you got, bro? One. Oh, okay. Well, hang in there. You know, that's how we are. We're competitive. They were competitive by nature. These two. Look at verses five to ten. It says, "And he stooping down again, John, referring to himself, he." He's so modest, stooping down and looking in. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and yet he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb and he saw the linen cloths lying there and the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded together in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who came to the tomb first again, he has to mention it right Went in also and saw and believed, for as they yet did not know the scripture that he must again, uh, uh, that he must rise again from the dead, then the disciples went away again to their own homes. When John arrives, he cautiously and slowly looks in to the tomb. Now, I don't know for sure, but it's said that it's quite possibly for fear of what he might see. And it only makes sense, doesn't it? Could somebody had gone in and, and, you know, uh, grave robbers still be there. The robbers still be there. They, you know, they know that that he's taken the body and and who knows, maybe they did something to the body. Maybe, you know, John, he just couldn't just go in there and look. He slowly peeks in and look for fear of what he might see. I can't think of any other reason why he would be so cautious. But Peter, on the other hand, catching up. You know, I could see John already caught his breath. He's just sitting there. And then here comes Peter. You know, he's old, older. Peter was older. And he runs in and he's like, he runs right in and he bursts right in. Impulsive Peter. He bursts right in, right? And what they saw, what these two men saw together, it would change mankind for all eternity it would change eternity for all mankind and there would be no way that a human can claim responsibility now let me see if I get this right is it rabbit trails Okay, I'm going to ask the congregation is it rabbit trails or rabbit holes that you don't want to go down come on anyone okay she's right Well, you can go down rabbit holes for weeks, if not months, perhaps years, trying to get to the bottom of the grave clothes controversy. You know, were they all folded? Were they, you know, what did it look like the body just disappeared? You know, did they deflate? You know, the Vatican has this head covering and there's his face is burnt in. And there's all of these things. And, you know, there's just been so much controversy about all this stuff. Of what, it, what, what did it look like? There's a, there's a most popular uh, consensus would say that, that his body, it looked like it had just disappeared in the grave cloths. And that, that shape, the form was still there. And that the head covering was folded neatly on the side. And a lot of people agree with that. I, I don't know how, how they could confirm that. I don't know how they can deny that. But you know what? Here's the point. Whatever it was they saw... It caused John to believe. You see, the one thing that nobody would disagree on, that nobody can disagree on, is Jesus Christ was not there. So don't go down all the rabbit holes and waste all of your time in trying to figure out. And listen, I apologize. If there is significance in the fact that maybe the head wrap was was folded a certain way, and then if you unfold it, it gives you numbers, and and it gives you days of the year, I, I whatever. Knock yourself out. The point is, is Jesus Christ is risen. It's not about the grave cloths. It's not about the head covering. Whatever the scene was, we know that in, in, in verse 8, we know that, listen to what it says in verse 8, then the other disciple, John, who came to the tube first, went in and saw and what? Believed. Hey, whatever it was, it caused him to believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And you know what? It wouldn't be long before the rest of them did too. If you continue on in the chapter, continue reading on, we see the written account of the eyewitnesses. That that were able to testify that they saw the risen Savior. Now, today in the court of law. You see that missing body, that was circumstantial evidence. Circumstantial evidence in the court of law, it holds a lot of water. But man, if you have an eyewitness, it's a slam dunk. If you have two three eyewitnesses, it's a slam dunk. Jewish law required that you would have two, only two or more witnesses for a true testimony. Church, let me ask you this. How many witnesses do you need to believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ? 2? 3? How about 500? How about over 500 witnesses? Listen to 1 Corinthians 15:3 through 8. Paul writes, "For I delivered to you first of all that which was also I also received, look at that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures." And that he was buried and that he rose again on the third day, according to the scriptures. And that notice he was seen by Cephas. Then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren. All at once. Of whom the greater part still remain present. But some have fallen asleep. Meaning they have passed away already. After that, he was seen by James and then all the apostles. And then look, and last of all, he was seen by me also as by one born out of due time. Church, Jesus Christ is risen. It's not Easter Sunday. I know. I know. Kind of like. But he is risen. He is resurrected from the dead to fulfill the father's plan. Now I don't know what's up with the Apostle Paul. I, I mean, he names all these people, but you know who he didn't, you know who he left out? on guys gotta be with me here who was the first one to see him Mary right see the disciples didn't have the entire Bible that we have today cover to cover you see the disciples they had a lot of missing information a lot of missing parts but church, we are le- we are left this evening without an excuse. We have the entire word of God. We know how the story ends. Spoiler alert right here. If you want to know how the story ends. You see, Jesus Christ has risen from the grave. He rose from the dead to fulfill the Father's plan. To save man from their sin. To give them everlasting life. This was God's motive. You see, in verse 9 it says, "...for they did not know the Scriptures." They did not know that he must rise from the dead, nor did they yet even understand. My friends, it is important for us to understand and believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If Jesus is not resurrected, then the house of cards of Christianity just comes tumbling down. There is no power in Christianity. There is no power in your walk. There is no confidence in your walk. There is nothing. Without the power of the resurrection of Jesus' life. You might as well just be another, just be a religious person then. If we don't believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Without the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We have no hope church for our resurrection. We need to make this clear to the dying and lost world this evening. As we go our way. This is how it's made right with God. When someone asks you how are how are you made right with god i i pray that that's going to happen to you guys soon you're going to be blown away you're not going to know what to do i promise you you know what to do but you're going to be so stunned but can you re- can you remember romans 10:9 church could can we put a memory verse in our head today can we re- remember romans 10:9 9 and 9 through 10? 10 10:9:10 10. how are we going to remember that romans 10:9:10 10, 10:9:10 9, 10. 10, 9, 10. right say it 10, 9, 10, Romans 10, 9, 10. How are we made right with God? Listen. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart, notice that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Period. There is no other way. The rest of the chapter is only more evidence of the resurrection of Jesus Christ with eyewitnesses. Now, I truly believe that even with what we read in the first 10 verses today, it's enough evidence to make a a good decision, to make an informed decision about following Jesus Christ. You know, you might say, well, you know what? I suppose I'll go home and I'll read the rest of the chapter. I suppose I'll go home tonight and... And if it's convincing enough, you know, then maybe I'll consider, you know, maybe somebody's watching from home and they're and they're going, well, you know what? Maybe tomorrow I'll crack open the Bible and I'll see about these witnesses. Maybe then I I can have enough to make a, a an informed decision to follow Jesus Christ. But here's the problem with that. The problem with that is that we are not guaranteed tomorrow. My pastor told me one time. Pastor Tony. He said, preach every service like it's your last. Because somebody told him that. You see, it may not be my last, but it could be your last message that you ever hear. As God speaks to your heart. Jesus said that you must be born again to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And this is priority number one for all mankind. And heaven is a real place. And so is hell. And our souls, they're going to live on forever, whether we like it or not, somewhere. And you see, we can't blame God if we choose hell. God doesn't send anybody to hell. People choose it. Just like those that chose Barabbas. The people had a choice. And this is man's tendency is to pick the evil, the crooked and the perverse over the good and the pure and the holy. We have a choice today to choose life or to choose death. And God's giving it to you. And God loves you and he loves you so much that he gave his only begotten son. So that if you would believe in him, that you would not perish, that you would receive everlasting life ever and ever and ever in the kingdom of heaven. Choose life today while you still can. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, God, so much, Lord, for your word and God, I pray, Lord, if there's anyone uh, watching through, through the television, Lord, anybody here in the sanctuary, Lord God, if, if, Father, they never made that decision for you, Lord, to follow you, that decision, Lord, that they would have the blessed assurance that they would know that without a shadow of a doubt that they will be standing in your presence, Lord, when they breathe their last breath. That Father, I pray that they would make a decision tonight, Lord, Because the Bible says it is impossible to please you without faith. So, Father, I pray that tonight that they would come by faith, Lord, to receive you and accept you as Lord and Savior. And so if you want to make that commitment to Jesus Christ tonight, I have a prayer that I'm going to pray. And you just pray it to yourself wherever you're at. And it's simple. It's just asking Christ to come into your heart and to be your Savior and so let's pray. Lord, forgive me, God, for all of my sins. I thank you for sending your son, Jesus, to come and to die on the cross, Lord, and to resurrect, Lord, to give me the hope of resurrection in my life. I accept you, Jesus, as my Lord and Savior. I ask you to fill me with your spirit. I ask you to heal me from my infirmities. I ask you to cast out whatever demons, whatever, thing, whatever may have me in bondage, Lord, I ask that you would cast it out for me, Lord, and replace it with your spirit, Lord. That I can walk with you for the rest of my days here on this earth. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.